0: Good morning, Fellowship. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Jimmy Cook. I'm one of the worship leaders here at Fellowship, and I'm excited uh, that we're gathered together to worship our king. And uh, one of the things that we believe here is that uh, as we're looking in this Philippian study, we're, we're looking at what it means to experience authentic joy. And what we believe authentic, where we believe authentic joy is found is kind of counterintuitive in that uh, we see the example of Jesus who didn't use his status for personal gain, but leaned into suffering and pain and sorrow and servanthood. And that's where he uh, he trusted the Father to exalt him. So we we see in, in Philippians 2 his example, and we believe that following that example is how we find authentic joy. So we're gonna look at his example this morning through the songs that we sing and the things that we say and realign our hearts and realign our affections to where we believe we can experience authentic joy in the pattern set by Jesus Christ and living, living in a way that prioritizes servanthood and leaning into people when they're suffering and hurting. So let's stand together. Uh, let's, let's worship our king who is worthy of our praise. Jimmy Cook. I am one of the worship leaders here at Fellowship, uh, and uh, I wanted to share a little bit about uh, some things that we, we offer because we believe at Fellowship that community is essential, that if you read the Bible, you get to like the second page, and then God says it's not good for people to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone uh, emotionally. It's not good for us physically, and it's definitely not good for us spiritually. So we, want, we strive to create pathways for you guys to connect, for people to connect and build real, authentic relationships. And one of the main ways we do that is through community groups. And if you're new here, a community group is essentially a group of people who meet together to encourage one another as we strive to live this life of authentic joy in pursuing the example that's set by Jesus. So uh, if you are interested in community, groups, Uh, there's somebody at the end of the service, if you go out to the foyer, there is a booth back there, there's someone who would love to talk to you about how you could get connected with a community group. And there's another pathway uh, that's relatively new, and it's a group me, Uh, there should be a QR code on on the screen behind me, Uh, it's a group me for uh, men who are interested in uh, just hanging out. So essentially, uh, it's it's a way to keep updated on uh, anything that's going on, like if you're gonna do something uh, like you want to go fishing and you want a group of guys to go with you, you could put it on the group meet. Uh So far there's been a car show, there's been a bike ride, um, but essentially it's a way to communicate about things that you are doing and you want a group of men to like hang out with, come with you, uh, and, and spend some time. And honestly, like guys in the room, uh, it's easier for us to connect if we have an activity. Uh, so this is an opportunity for you to connect with other like-minded followers of Jesus, uh, or people that are interested in following Jesus and just hang out. So, uh, you can, uh, follow that QR code, sign up for the group meet and find out what's going on. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we can uh, get back into singing praises to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much that you don't leave us alone, but that you, uh, you came for us to rescue us, but you also put us in a family. Uh, you placed us in community and, uh, we're so grateful for the gift of, of those faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who have nurtured us and cared for us. And we're thankful for the gift of your church body and all the gifts that it expresses. And uh, we wanna worship you, we wanna honor you. We wanna give you praise for the way that you've cared for us. Uh, so we lift your name up today. We praise you and we honor you. Let me pray these things in your name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing? to him.
1: New The Testament only gives us a few small glimpses into the life of Timothy. We have Luke's inclusion of him in the great narrative Acts, several mentions throughout Paul's letters, and two direct letters from Paul. Now from Luke's account, we learn that Timothy may have grown up in the city of Lystra. His mother was a woman named Eunice, and she was a Jew. In fact, her and Timothy's grandmother, Lois, are commended in one of Paul's letters for the faith that they intentionally modeled for young Timothy. However, Timothy's father was a Greek man. We don't know much else about him. He seems mostly absent from the story, which makes me wonder if perhaps he passed away during Timothy's childhood, or maybe he was just distant. Either way, it's not the father who is commended for instilling faith in Timothy. And maybe that means that despite having a Jewish wife, he continued worshiping the Greek pantheon of gods. And so I wonder if Timothy ever felt divided, on one hand, maybe he was compelled by the stories about Yahweh. Maybe his mother or his Nana Lois would tell him stories about Yahweh's steadfast love for his people each night before bed. Stories like the call of Abraham or Moses and the great exodus from Egypt, the rise of King David, and those peculiar people called prophets who continued to call attention to Yahweh through the dark exile years. Those exile years that seemed to linger still. And maybe as bedtime stories wrapped up each night, Nana Lois would say something like, one day, sweet Timothy, the Messiah will come and he'll rescue our people. And maybe Timothy's heart would skip a beat at the words, our people, wondering if Yahweh would accept him into his chosen people, given his mixed bloodline. There were certainly some Jews in the community who didn't think so. And so I wonder if then lying in bed, his thoughts would turn to the gods of his father. Zeus, Poseidon, Ares, Hera, Aphrodite, and so on. Certainly those gods were closer than the Hebrew god Yahweh. For goodness sake, a temple to Zeus sat right outside their city. And so maybe he was torn between two worlds, wondering, who is God really? And who am I? Until one day, two strange men appeared in his town proclaiming a gospel. Something about a crucified man named Jesus, who allegedly rose from the dead, proving himself to be the Messiah of the Jews and the true king of the world. And even Gentiles were invited to follow this new king and receive his spirit. That certainly would have grabbed the attention of Lois and Eunice. And I wonder if Timothy looked in awe at the light in his grandmother's eyes to think it could really be happening, the Messiah, in her own lifetime. But then things got strange. It says these two men, Paul and Barnabas they were called, they healed a man who had been unable to walk since birth. And he stood up and walked, and the crowds went wild. People had never seen power like this, and they quickly assumed that perhaps Barnabas was Zeus in the flesh, and Paul must be his messenger, Hermes. The gods are among us, they cried, and they even tried to offer them sacrifices. But the two men denied such claims. We're just men like you. Turn from these lifeless idols and serve God, the living God, Yahweh. Trust in Jesus. But the chaos only grew, especially... When a group of Jews from other towns arrived with accusations against Paul and Barnabas, and they dragged Paul outside the city and stoned him until he lay dead, or so they thought. Now if Timothy felt torn before, imagine him now. One moment, uh, the Jewish Messiah has come. The next moment, the Greek gods of his fathers are here in the city. And then like that, the men were gone. But something about that man, Paul, he had conviction. He had something real. I mean, a whole city was ready to bow to him, and yet he humbly directed the glory to Jesus. And he was so adamant that this Jesus was the Messiah, that he would endured being beaten and stoned. And to top it off, he even came back into the city to continue sharing the gospel. Weeks later, he returned to check on this new church that had formed in the city of Lystra. That story seemed real to Timothy. It seemed alive, beautiful, like Nana Lois' stories. And for the first time in his half Greek, half Jew split identity life, perhaps this gospel of Jesus made Timothy feel whole. So some years later, when Paul passed through Lystra on his second missionary journey, he encountered a maturing young disciple named Timothy, whom everyone spoke well of because of the way he wholeheartedly embraced the message of Jesus and the way he humbly served others. No longer was he an anxious child, unsure of his identity, Now, Timothy knew who he was. For him to live was Christ. And that sincere faith manifested itself in genuine concern for others. So Paul invited him to join his mission. He discipled him in the way of Jesus and eventually commissioned him to lead the church at Ephesus. Timothy is an example of Christlike humility.
2: Person would take great risk to deliver a care package to someone. Who puts their life on the line to help a brother or sister in Christ? That person, Epaphroditus. This courageous man volunteered for a difficult and dangerous mission for the sake of the gospel. Epaphroditus is probably not on your top 10 list of baby names, but his name means charming handsome or fascinating makes you wonder if his parents chose his name before or after he was born in the letter to the church in Philippi the apostle Paul had these names for him a church messenger a brother a co-worker and even a fellow soldier Epaphroditus was a man of obvious devotion faithfulness and self-sacrifice high praise From the Apostle Paul. Now we know that Paul was in prison, most likely in Rome, when he wrote his letters to the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, and to Philemon. And when the Philippian church learned of Paul's imprisonment, they wanted to send him a generous gift, probably financial. But how would they get it to Paul? Who would be willing to make the long and grueling trip to Rome? none other than Epaphroditus, whom the church of Philippi called their sent one. And what a trip it was. So he set out from Philippi, which today would be in Greece, carrying a few belongings and a water skin. He likely would have journeyed west toward the Adriatic Sea, crossed the sea by ship, then arrived in Italy and next walked the Appian Way 350 miles more before finally seeing the seven hills of Rome. This six-week trek would have covered close to 800 miles. He tra- traversed high mountain passes, skirted lakes and rivers, and trudged across dirt roads. If Epaphroditus left behind his family and friends knowing the hardships ahead of him. What he could not know was that on that difficult journey, he would become deathly ill. We don't know the nature of his illness, but he might have picked up pneumonia while sleeping outdoors on those cold mountain nights, or he could have eaten tainted food at a rest stop, or suffered a fever that spread around the close quarters of a ship, or simply because of overexertion, travel these conditions might explain while Paul tells us that he nearly died imagine the moment Aphrodite finally arrived in Rome he was undoubtedly haggard and gaunt as the illness and the travel would have taken their toll and yet when he finally found the place where Paul was under house arrest he knew it had been worth it all Certainly, the apostle Paul must have embraced him and commended him for making the treacherous journey. Maybe Epaphroditus was still ill when he arrived, and it was Paul and Timothy that nursed him back to health. I don't know how it all played out, but one thing that's clear is that Epaphroditus sought to selflessly serve others and had Paul's respect and affection. After some time together catching up on all that had been happening in Philippi, Paul would sit down and write the letter we are studying. And when it came time to send the letter to the Philippians, who else would Paul ask to carry it? Epaphroditus, the messenger, but more than a messenger, a true brother, a faithful companion, a fellow soldier for the gospel. When you see him again, Paul wrote, rejoice. And when the Philippians read aloud this treasure letter for the first time, Epaphroditus, perhaps tears running down his face, heard the words that Paul wrote about him, honor such men. Epaphroditus, the man that went above and beyond, risking his life for the cause of Christ, and to serve Paul, his brother in Christ.
0: source of life and uh, as we see the examples of those who have gone before us, who are faithful, uh, who risk for your kingdom, uh, help us to learn what it means to live uh, as though you are our only source of life, you are our, our life. We love you. we pray these things in your name. Amen. I're gonna have a seat.
3: Who's your hero? All right, maybe that's an odd question to ask a room full of adults. Maybe you don't feel like you have a hero. Let me, let me reframe it. When you were growing up, who was your hero? See, I had some heroes growing up. Now, I was a, I was a kid in the 70s, so one of my heroes for sure was Evil Knievel. I'd go out and play with my little Evil Knievel stunt bike, and man, if this dude was gonna be jumping over something crazy on ABC's Wide World of Sports, I was watching. I was into Evil Knievel. But I wasn't just a 70s kid, I was a 70s Arkansas kid. And so we all had a hero, and his name was Sidney Moncrief. Super Sid, come on, kid from Little Rock, All-American at Arkansas, one of the best players in the nation, cover of SI. He's dunking over a dude from UT, what else could I want? (laughs) But the truth is, neither one of those guys was really my hero. I was only into those guys because someone else thought what they were doing was cool. And that someone else was my actual hero. When I was growing up, my hero was my dad. And I love this picture. I think that picture is taken around 1980. And I love it because that's how I remember my dad, riding his motorcycle, totally in control. And I also love it because my sister Kim's hanging on for dear life. And I think this is probably the last time she was on a motorcycle. But I didn't, my dad wasn't my hero because he was cool or because he had a motorcycle. He was my hero because of who he was. He was a Jesus follower. He loved my mom and Kim and me. He showed us every day what it was to be a person of integrity. He showed us what it meant to work hard. He showed us every day what it meant to put others ahead of yourself. That's why when we got married, I asked him to be my best man because he was my hero and he still is. So let me ask you the question again. Who's your hero? Because that's the, that's the question that Philippians is going to push us toward this morning as we continue our study in this letter that Paul wrote. So I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there with me if you would. We're going to be in Philippians chapter two. We're going to begin in verse 19 as we look at the example of Timothy in Epaphroditus. It's page 36 if you brought your Philippian study guide. I love seeing y'all bring those study guides in to mark up the text and take some notes. Well, my name's Michael and I serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And I gotta tell you, our passage this week really connected with my community pastor's heart. Because what our passage is about this week is Paul doing ministry in the context of relationships. Our passage today is all about Paul being part of a team, doing ministry in community. And before we jump right into our text, I just want to remind you of where we are in the flow of the letter. See, one of the dangers of studying any book of the Bible, but especially one of these letters, week by week the way we like to do around here, is that we can lose the flow, we can lose the bigger message. And so our passage this week is in a section that actually began way back in chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul said, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word gospel, of course, means good news. And the good news he's referring to is the news that Jesus was Israel's Messiah and the world's true King, and that through his death and resurrection, we could be reconciled to God. And Paul's been very clear throughout all of his teachings and writings that's a gift. We can't earn it. We don't work for it. We just accept the free gift of salvation available in Jesus. But what he's telling us here is that how we live our lives in light of that gospel, in light of that good news, matters. We're called to conduct ourselves in a worthy manner in light of that gospel. And so he's going to say, let me give you some examples. And the first one is our ultimate example. Jesus, as Jimmy said in our call to worship, Paul says in chapter two, verse five, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that mindset was one of humility. Jesus didn't owe it to us to come to earth, and yet he did. He humbled himself to step into space and time, to take on a human body, and then to be obedient even to death on a cross, the most painful and humiliating way ever devised for someone to die. So Jesus is our example, Paul says, of a mindset of humility. And then last week, Clark walked us through the next example. As Paul says, look at his own life. In verse 17, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm being spent. He says, even if my life is to be sacrificed for this gospel mission, I'm going to rejoice, and you should too, because it's worth it. And so Paul has said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here's some examples of how to do that. Look at Jesus. Then Paul says, look at my own life. And now he's going to give us two more. It's the two men that you heard, Tad and Cindy, tell us their stories. He's going to say, look at the example first of Timothy. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. And then look at the compliment he pays him in verse 20. We've got it highlighted. I have no one else like him. Man, what high praise. Can you imagine if your boss or your supervisor said that about you? I have no one else like them. Or even better, what if it was your spiritual mentor who said of you, I have no one else like them? And what is it that sets Timothy apart? It's his genuine concern for your welfare. What sets Timothy apart from Paul's other disciples and followers and people in the church is his genuine concern for other people. And I really camped out on that word genuine. It wasn't that Timothy knew how to gin up concern for people or worse, fake concern for people. It was real. He was genuinely concerned about how other people were doing. And then look at the affectionate language that Paul uses Paul says, He's proved himself as a son with his father. He served me in the work of the gospel. Now we know Paul didn't have any kids of his own, but he had Timothy. And now he sees Timothy following in his footsteps, pouring himself out for the sake of the gospel. He sees Timothy in his genuine concern for others. And so Paul holds him up as an example. Look at Jesus. Look at Paul. Look at Timothy. And the reason he can say that is because Paul has no one else like Timothy who shows genuine concern for others. What a challenging example that is for all of us. Wouldn't we all desire that someone in our sphere would say of us, they really cared about me. When things were difficult, when I needed someone, man, he or she really cared about me. Fellowship, what if we became known for our genuine concern for others? What if we were a people that others looked at and said, man, they really care about us? How would that transform our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, if we were marked by, known for, a genuine concern for others? It is a challenging example for sure. Then Paul presses into his fourth and final example. The man Cindy told us about Epaphroditus. And as she highlighted, he calls him his brother, his coworker, and his fellow soldier. I spent some time thinking about that. A brother, a fellow soldier. Clark and I've talked many times together about how we both loved Stephen Ambrose's book, Band of Brothers, The HBO series that came out of it was outstanding. What made those guys a band of brothers? They were fellow soldiers. Easy company, they endured something really difficult together and it bonded them for life. That's what Paul says about Epaphroditus. So what does a soldier do? Well, a soldier endures difficult circumstances a soldier risks his life to take care of the person to his left and his right. And a soldier is willing to sacrifice his life for the mission. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus did. We know that because Paul tells us in verse 27, he almost died. Now, like Cindy said, we don't know exactly what that entailed, but it was more than likely an illness. And part of the reason I think that is because Not only was it severe enough that he almost died, but it lasted long enough that word of his illness had time to get all the way back to Philippi, and then word of their concern had time to get all the way back to Rome, more than likely. So it was serious, and it was long-lasting. And Paul says that God spared him sorrow upon sorrow. Again, it's this affectionate language like he had for Timothy. God spared him sorrow upon sorrow by rescuing Epaphroditus from whatever it was that almost killed him. Then Paul says, Philippian church, I'm going to send him. So when you see him again, you can be glad and I can have less anxiety. Isn't it unusual to see Paul describe himself as being anxious? We're going to see in a few weeks, he says, be anxious about nothing. I think his anxiety wasn't for himself. It was for what it would do to the Philippian church if Epaphroditus had died. I think, once again, Paul is more concerned about others than about himself. And I think Paul's concerned that when Epaphroditus returns, there may be some in Philippi who think he blew it, who think, man, you went there to take care of Paul. Paul had to take care of you. How could you go off on this trip and get sick? And Paul says, no, no. It's the opposite. Look what he says in verse 29. Honor people like him. Paul wants to make sure he gets a hero's welcome back in Philippi, that he's honored because he's one who put it all on the line for the sake of the gospel. And he reminds them in verse 30, he was here representing me. He was doing what you could not. Philippian church, you wanted me to have a gift. You wanted to minister to me, but you couldn't from 800 miles away. Epaphroditus was willing to represent you, to serve me. And so Paul wants to make sure he gets that hero's welcome when he gets back because Paul says, honor people like Epaphroditus who almost died serving others. And as I studied this passage preparing for today, this is what rang in my ears. I just kept thinking about it. Honor people like this. And so I started to ask myself, who should we honor? I mean, we're a church, we're a body of believers. We're not that different from the church at Philippi. Who are the people we should honor and how should we honor them? And as I thought about it, a few groups came to mind. The first and most obvious is our global workers. Y'all, our global workers are putting it all on the line for the sake of the gospel. Not only are most of them getting rid of all their stuff, which we all cling to, but they're giving up their safety, their comfort. They're leaving the ease of existence that we have here in Northwest Arkansas to go to some difficult places because the name of Jesus is not named there. We should honor them. So how do we honor them? Well, number one, we pray for them. If you're not praying for our global workers, I wanna encourage you, join us as we pray and lift them up and pray for their health, their safety, that God will use them in those places. And then second, we honor them by knowing what's going on with them. So sign up to get their prayer newsletters. Get yourself in a spot where you're in the know about one of our global workers or a few of them and what they're doing around the world. And then third, we honor them when they're on home assignment by welcoming them. Have them into your home. Have them come and visit your community group. These global workers are our heroes. Let's honor them. And then my middle picture here, that represents our community group leaders. Of course, they're my heroes. But think about it. They are brothers and sisters in Christ who are sacrificing for you and for the mission. Leading a community group takes work. Week after week, they pray for their group. They prepare to lead a discussion. They take care of all the details. That cheese dip doesn't just show up. They're the ones who work to make sure you have a place to meet, that you have food, that you have a service project. They're sacrificing from their time and energy for you and for the sake of the gospel mission. So how do we honor our community group leaders? Well, if you're in a community group, pray for your leader. If you're in a community group, thank your leader. And if the spirit's really moving, ask your leader how you can help. Nothing would honor them and bless them more because our community group leaders, they're the people that Paul is calling us to honor. They're our heroes. And then lastly, and there's a whole bunch of these people working on the other end of this building right now, our Fayette kids' workers. They're some of our heroes. We need to honor them. When our kids were little, my wife Lee and I volunteered in our children's ministry, and I quickly discovered I was outside my gifting I figured out I like my kids a lot more than I like your kids. But what a strategic place for those folks to serve. They are molding the next generation of our church. They are pointing these kids to Jesus in a way that could not only change their life, it could change their eternity. And it's doubly strategic because they're allowing parents to come in here and worship and be equipped to take the gospel into the places where they live and work and play. So those people who work in Fayette Kids, they're our heroes. How do we honor them? It's the same answer. We pray for them and then we thank them. Man, I hope every Fayette Kids worker is worn out from all the thanks they're gonna get as y'all go pick up their kids today. We thank them and then we come alongside and we see how we can help them. That's how we honor people like this. And so I want to give you all a challenge. I want you to do it in this upcoming week. Don't think, yeah, one of these days I'm going to do that. No, before you come back in this room next Sunday, I want to challenge you to honor someone who's been a spiritual hero in your life. Even right now, if someone doesn't immediately come to mind, ask the Lord who he would have you reach out to. Someone who pointed you to Jesus someone who made a sacrifice so you could grow in your faith, someone who lived a life that you wanted to emulate. Reach out to them this week. I love the idea of all these text messages and DMs and letters and emails and phone calls going out from this place all over Fayetteville, the surrounding area and the country of us honoring people like them, thanking our heroes now, this feels like the end of the sermon. We walked through the passage. We had one laugh. And I gave you a challenge. But there's something else. There's one other thing that's tucked in here. And it, it just stuck in my heart. And I'm afraid if I, don't, if I don't tease it out a little bit and show it to you, we'll completely miss it. And I want to get there by sharing a personal story. This is my friend, Elise McCarthy. Many of you know and love Elise. So, roll back a few years. The community team was me, Finley Robinson, and Margot Bottishbaugh. And we knew, the three of us knew, we need a staff person who can focus on young adult and college women. The Lord was bringing and continues to bring so many. Young adult and college women. What a blessing for our church. But we needed a staff person or we were gonna miss our our opportunity to really minister and utilize them. And so I went to the elders and they graciously agreed and allowed us to add a staff position. No other congregation or campus had this position. That's when Elise came on my radar and it seemed obvious she was the perfect fit. But there was a problem she worked for another ministry, and not just any ministry, a partner ministry, a ministry that we work closely with, a ministry that we love and we would never want to undermine. But Margot and Finley and I felt certain she was the right person. And so I reached out to that ministry leader, and walking in the Spirit, he was He was gracious enough to engage with me on it. And we began to pray together and and process. And we were both seeking the Lord. And he said, you know what? I need to release her. If she feels led to join your team, I need to send her to you. And so he did. And let me tell you, she was a home run hire. She was so good with young adult women, so good with college women, so effective, so competent, so organized. She even kept Garland on task. Something I have been unable to do. Yeah. Ryan knows how hard that would be. Elise was a home run ministry worker here. Then one day she came in my office and she said, My husband Kyle and I feel like we're called to join a church planning team in Japan. Now the shoe was on the other foot, right? I had to be the ministry leader, seeking the Lord, willing to say, Go. We're gonna release you, we're gonna send you. In fact, we're gonna launch you and be your biggest cheerleaders. So what's this got to do with our passage? Well, look at just two verses with me. Verse 19, Paul says, I plan to send Timothy to you soon. Verse 28, he says, I'm all the more eager to send Epaphroditus to you, Philippi. Paul loved these guys. And they were there to serve and minister to Paul. The easiest thing for him to do would have been to just keep them there but he didn't, he sent them, why? Because the gospel mission, Paul was so committed to the gospel mission, he was willing to send his best fellowship. This is so hard to do as individuals, as a church body. We love our best, they're our best teachers. They're our best volunteers. They're our best leaders. They're our best servants. They're our best friends. I would literally have said of Elise what Paul said of Timothy. I have no one like her. And yet we, like Paul, are called to hold these people loosely. See, we should be so committed to the gospel mission that we are willing to send our best. Whatever that looks like. Maybe it looks like sending someone across the world to be part of a church planning network, like Kyle and Elise. Maybe it looks like releasing someone to plant a church right here in our city, like Ross and Kate Cully. Or maybe it looks like what many of you have done over the years, releasing someone from your community group to multiply that group so more people can experience Christ-centered community. It's always hard. It always hurts because we love them and we wanna keep them close. But I'm just afraid that if we try to hold on tightly to people, we'll miss God's bigger blessing for us because it's when we send our best that the gospel goes out, that lives and eternities are changed. It's when we send those people out that we see Jesus glorified. And eventually his name is named here and there and one day everywhere and those people our best that we released they can be somebody else's heroes hey will you join me as we pray about this well lord it is hard it is hard to release people that we love and we want to hold close and yet we know this is your plan this is your program that we send our best. And so, Lord, our prayer today is that you would make us people like Timothy who show a genuine concern for the welfare of others, that you would make us, like Epaphroditus, willing to sacrifice for your gospel mission, whatever it takes. But, Lord, make us, like Paul, willing to release people so they can make an impact for your kingdom because, Jesus, we really do believe you're worth it.
0: Our King this morning, our humble King came for us. He's worthy of all our praise.
3: Fayetteville. don't forget your challenge for this week. If I see you next Sunday in the foyer and ask you who you reached out to, you don't want to have to look at the floor and say nobody. So reach out to someone, honor people like this. And so as we go through our week, let's honor them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's continue to pray for Israel. The Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that God will be glorified even in that tragic circumstance and that people will turn to him. I want to remind you this morning, if you need prayer, still through these doors to your right, the prayer room. If you want to take communion, we've moved it to the other side so there's more room, more people can take communion. Please feel free to do that as well. Fellowship, we love you. I want to honor people like you. Have a great week.